0: We have a question um, at the back there, ladies hand her hand up for a while. Uh, thank you very much. Oh, Jen, um, sorry.
1: <laughs> um, I'm Tim Dornan, I'm a professor from the University of Maastricht in the Netherlands. Um, my question and comment are directed to Ray. Um, since when I was your consultant colleague, you pilloried me for being not so excited by the thyroxin in the tablet as whether patients took the tablet or not. So you felt as an endocrinologist I was very ascientific when I said that what I really wanted to know was why people did or didn't take tablets. Since then I've um, become very interested in the social sciences and I think I'm following on from Richard Horton's point because the thing that was very strikingly different between your two presentations was that yours was almost entirely apolitical, Ray, except for a dismissive comment about postmodernism, which, for example, dismisses the entire theoretical stance from which I now do my research. (laughs) And it was striking that Rupert's um, presentation was political, but it was the politics of the dismissed minority, and um one of the things that i've learned is that um, my colleague jana and i use discourse analysis a lot and it allows you to look at the way power is exerted so you were reproducing the dominant discourse of medicine as apply as, as biomedical science the characteristics of which is that dominant groups um don't pro, don't address the politics of their position whilst dismissing what might be um, valid criticism, because it doesn't fit with the politics. Now, you mentioned evidence-based medicine. I might just hasten you it's to the question, if to that's right. the question, right, okay. of time. Well, Thank that you. evidence-based medicine is a highly political discourse. And so, for example, it's led to health sciences research, which means that you may not do certain types of research. So, for example, two of us applied for, wanted to apply for a grant to use phenomenology, which is Harry, K- Harvey Carell's suggestion. And the university we were going through would not us apply, uh, allow to us, us to apply for the grant because 50,000 pounds is a very small amount of money and it wasn't seen as being research that could produce any useful results. Tim, my stacking
2: mechanisms are, yes. are completely congested, so I need to try and right. respond. I uh, so, uh, so, first yeah. of all, I've yes. pilloried so many people in my life, yes. I don't particularly remember pilloring your good self. <laughs> But 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 it 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 is highly unlikely. I would have pilloried on that because as a geriatrician, I used to say that pharmacokinetics should be much more about how quickly the patient threw the tablets into the toilet than how much it was handled by the patient. I always to teach the students all that. Um, Well, in terms of. The use of pharma, as you know, I've written books on phenomenology pharma- and so on, and Javi and I have spoken many times together. So I'm surprised you would think I would be—I myself would be opposed to a phenomenological approach uh, to medicine and looking actually at subjective experience.
0: But just bringing uh, yeah. about the postmodern point. So your, your presumably your your contention there is that truth is. I don't want to distort this, but there's a relativism to how we apprehend truth within. I you, My sure.
2: Well, I mean, two things marginalised complementary medicine. It may well indeed be the, the biomedical discourse. The other is quite a lot of it's no good, and that's the main thing that we can but, but, I mean, I, I, I'm not too sure that biomedical science has been such a bad thing. If you look at pre-scientific medicine... We know exactly what it was like, and if anybody wants to get a good account of it, they should read Shakespeare's Tremor and Orwell's Cough, and you'll have an idea of what medicine, evidence-free medicine, and indeed science-free medicine's like, and basically it was a combination of toxicology and butchery. So I wouldn't wouldn't dismiss the major central role of science in underpinning our our choice of treatments, including the concept of thyroxine, Tim, which presumably you don't dismiss. You know, that's a pretty recent concept, in, 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 and all your endocrinology is less than 100 years old. And the reason you were such a good doctor, partly you're a nice bloke, but also because of science, scientific medicine. Can I just make a <laughs> yes. comment
3: on that? I think, you know, it's true we've had huge advances and so forth, but, you know, our mutual friend James Lefanu, in his book, The Rise and Fall of Modern Medicine, I think makes an important point that the greatest breakthroughs happened, you know, a couple of, up to two or three decades ago. There's a law of diminishing return at the moment, and the pharmaceutical companies have this dearth of new drugs. The attempts to make variants on existing ones aren't very impressive. The attempt to have rational drug discovery hasn't worked. Genetic medicine hasn't worked that we have got a law of diminishing returns situation. I think that's true. We haven't
2: got law of diminishing returns. If you look at the actual outcomes, which are life expectancy, health expectancy, comfort expectancy, and fun expectancy, all of those continue to rise. And in somewhere like the UK, they cannot be explained by changes in the way we order our affairs socially. If you look very specifically for example, cardiovascular disease, mortality in cardiovascular disease in the 1990s fell by 50% in people under 65 mortality, age-related mortality, cardiovascular disease between when I became a doctor in 1970 and the present has fallen to a third, age-corrected. Much of that will be due to the application of medical knowledge and, in some cases, to actual therapies such as drugs. So I don't think we're getting laws of diminishing return. Oh, Actually, I... for every year we, we live, or every hour, day we live, our life expectancy is increased by five hours, and this is not due to, we should say, improvement of the, of, of the socio-political framework.
3: We were talking about biomedical science, not the application of known knowledge. You know, if medical research had been cancelled, if the entire budget had stopped in the year 2000, everything you've talked about would probably have happened. I'm talking about the research frontiers now and the law of diminishing return. Well,
2: it's just that James's book was published in, you know, well before 2000, and he and I have debated it a lot, so hmm. this is a well-practiced argument. But it seems to me that we are always, as it were, uh, pronouncing the death of progress in medicine. But irritatingly, medicine continues to progress on the basis of often drug treatments, medical treatments, surgical treatments, which are exposed to scientific evaluation and sometimes have a scientific underpinning. Right.
3: I still think there's a law of diminishing return, not just in in medicine, but in the sciences as a whole. And I I think my... That's my thesis, that the whole thing would be open. If we can open it up, get past the dogmas, we'd have a renaissance of discovery. And I think that would be true in
0: medicine too. I mean, I may be wrong, but... uh, Rupert, I will stop you there, actually, just in the interest of time. So it, it sounds as though there's a general agreement that we can arrive upon some truths, if not all truths, well, through reason... It may or may not be that there is there are several versions of this dogma floating around. Either that, in fact, uh, the pursuit of that knowledge is not democratised, or in fact, there is a prevailing set That's of true. metaphors about what medicine views as uh, the right knowledge to pursue. And on that, I think we should stop for half an hour of coffee. <laughs> oh <God. laughs>